It's Wednesday afternoon. You go up to a classmate or a coworker and you just ask, hey, how are you doing? What's the typical response that you're gonna get from them? Oh, I'm just so busy. Busy. It's as if the rhythm of our life in our culture is busy. We go from place to place. We go from activity to activity, scheduled appointment to scheduled appointment. And the people that are paying millions of dollars to tap into human psychology, the marketing departments, understand this. And so you can even see this built into the marketing campaigns. Think about it. What are the things that they're selling you? Well, they're selling you products and experiences and they're giving you images of peace, a, a nice lake, a Volkswagen bug overlooking uh, a wonderful like, mountain spots. You see bungalows on over water that have a bed and a hot tub right next to one another where you could step out and just jump into beautiful crystal clear water. Just buy this and you will be at rest. Just experience this and you will actually be rested. Just watch this, binge this, and you will be more rested. But what do those things actually tend to lead to? Not fulfilled, true rest, but a sense of restlessness. What if the pace of our lives is out of rhythm with the way the world was meant to be? What if this scheduled event to scheduled event, appointment to appointment, seven days a week, always on, always having access, what if that's out of rhythm with the way the world was designed? We, as a church, have been focusing on the spiritual discipline of prayer. And generally, we've been looking at what is the flourishing life? What does it mean to flourish in God's kingdom? And historically, there have been specific practices that we engage in that form us into a human that is flourishing. And that first one we focused on was prayer. Now we're going to be shifting our attention and focus to what I call the slow down disciplines. These are the disciplines of silence, solitude, and where we're going today, Sabbath. Sabbath is the weekly aligning with the Creator's rhythm of creation. It's when we deliberately disengage for a life that is flourishing and abounding. And so what we'll do for our remaining time is we're going to look at a few different passages of Scripture. We're going to take a few different principles from these passages, and then I'm going to give you some practical wisdom on how you can go about engaging in the spiritual discipline of Sabbath in the coming months. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to flip open to Genesis chapter 2. Let me give you some context. This is the end of the macro creation account. The first six days, 
God has been um, going about doing lots of work. He's created the stars and the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and the sky and the animals by sea and by air. And then ultimately the culmination of his creation is humanity, Adam and Eve. So that happens in six days. And on the seventh day, he says this, and the scriptures say this in Genesis chapter 2. Read in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what do we find from this Genesis passage telling us about what Sabbath is? Now the first one is that Sabbath is written into creation. Theologically, this is the idea of common grace. This is true for all people. Um, Regardless if you place your faith in Jesus or not, Sabbath in a regular rhythm of a day off every week is for your benefit. Studies show that there's a negligible difference between somebody that works 55 hours a week and 70 hours a week. It's It's as if you have a cap on how productive you can actually be. Scripturally, we see this later when God commands his people to give his land a rest. And he points back to this seventh day as the reason why. If God had to rest himself then shouldn't you humans need to rest? And shouldn't my creation need to rest? It's in the rhythm of creation in God's created order. But secondly, not only is it written into creation, that Sabbath is stopping and delighting. It's stopping and delighting. I want you to ask yourself, why did God rest? Was he tired? Did he just run out of strength and energy from all the work he had done? Was it because he was frustrated with his work and he just needed to get away? His Monday through Friday was just exhausting and he just needed a Saturday off. No, I don't think that's what the scriptures are teaching. And I think we can find that in what the the meaning of the word is. Shabbat has two meanings, which is the Hebrew word where we get Sabbath. Shabbat first means to stop, just to stop. This is the deliberate disengagement. But the second meaning is to delight in. It's to delight in something. What God did on the seventh day, yes, he did stop. But I think the second part gives us a picture of what actually took place. That God was delighting in his creation. It's as if the artist was enjoying his art. His, the creator was enjoying and delighting in creation. He was seeing the mountains and he, was, he loved it. He was seeing the ocean and the animals flying and swimming. He was looking at the stars, but ultimately he was being with humans. He was with them walking in the cool of the day. That he was delighting in his creation. That's what it means to Sabbath. Not just to stop, not just to disengage, 
but to delight in something. We'll unpack that in practice shortly. So Sabbath is written into creation. Sabbath is stopping and delighting. Third is that Sabbath is blessed by God. It is blessed by God. You see this in the first part of verse three. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. In the creation account of Genesis 1, only three things are described as blessed. The first one is animals. It says animal, they're blessed, and so be fruitful and multiply. The second one are humans. And what does it say? God blessed them and commanded them to be fruitful, to, be, to multiply, and to fill the earth and subdue it with more image bearers. So the first two things that are called blessed have a life-giving quality for others and all of creation. I believe that is what Sabbath is doing here. Sabbath is blessed by God because it is to be a source of where you can get life, where you can be rejuvenated, where you can be fueled and refueled to continue in the work that God has called to. That it's Sabbath is blessed by God. And the fourth thing that I want us to get from this passage is that Sabbath is the first human experience. I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. Humans were created on the sixth day. And then what happens on the seventh day is Sabbath. So God breathes life into Adam and Eve. And what is their first full day experience? Resting. Delighting. Enjoying the presence of God. Now this is backwards for many of us. We look at it as, hey, we need to work and then we can rest. When I was a, a basketball player growing up, I remember having this really specific teaching stick in my brain. It's okay, you want to run down as fast as you can to the other court, expend all your energy, and then when you get to the other side, before the opponent comes up, that's your time to catch your breath, rest, and then be ready to play defense. So work, then rest. Expend energy, then receive energy. But that's backwards from Adam and Eve's experience. It wasn't work hard and then rest. It was, no, rest and out of that work, go about working in the way that God designed. Be delighted in by God. Experience the joys that God's giving you. Rest, worship, and from that place, go about experiencing work. The Christian faith is not about do, it's about things are already done. Now out of the finished work of Christ, go about doing. So Sabbath, from Genesis we can learn it's about, um, it's written into creation, it's stopping and delighting, that it's blessed by God, and that it's the first human experience. The fifth principle is a bridge into our next few passages. And it's the idea that Sabbath is holy. Sabbath is holy. 
See that in Genesis 3? What does it say? After God blessed the seventh day and he said he made it holy. It was designed by God to be holy. And out of that, that's when he gives us the commands to remember it and to observe it. The next passage we're going to read is Exodus chapter 20. This is after um, God's people have been saved and redeemed from the Egyptians. And now God has given Moses the law, his commandments, the way that life was meant to be. And in that is the 10 teachings or the 10 commandments. And one of those commandments is read in verse 8 through 11 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. You see the restating of what happens in Genesis chapter 3. And it's the fact that God made it holy. And holy means set apart, designed by God for a specific purpose. God made it holy in creation. And what does it say in Exodus chapter 20? That we're to remember it. Not, this isn't just a logical assent to, but we're to practice in it. And that's played out even more in the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments. It's restated in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he doesn't, there, Moses doesn't teach to remember. He teaches them to observe it, to practice it, to go about doing it. This was a day that set, um, was set apart by God for Israelites' people. This was a day that set the Israelites apart from the surrounding nations. They were unique, holy, distinct people because they were in the rhythm of God's created order. And this was a command for them. This wasn't an option or an idea. This was something that they were instructed and commanded to do. If God made it holy, they were to remember it, keep it, and to observe it. Sabbath is holy. It's set apart for us. Now, if this is a command, how are we to receive that? In a day and age where we tend to think of authority as negative or um, a command as uh, uh, something that we don't want to do, I think this is different as we start to look into the life of Jesus. That this isn't a command to be received begrudgingly, but this is something that's holy by God for the sixth principle, that Sabbath is a gift from God. Sabbath is a gift from God. Mark chapter uh, 2, excuse me, verse 23, and we're going to be looking at a few different principles from Mark 2.23 through Mark 3.6. Let me go ahead and read this passage. One Sabbath, he being Jesus, was going 
through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Pause for a second. This was considered work in the day, according to the, um, the Pharisees. This was unlawful in their eyes. And so, verse 24, the Pharisees were saying to them, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry and to those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, he, he and those who were with him, um, excuse me, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with them. Verse 27, this is where I want you to focus. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So for those of us who are in Christ that have placed our faith in Jesus, the question is, is this command that God gave to his people a requirement for us if to, in order to live? It, I'm going to approach that, the answer to that question from a little bit of a different angle. That question is thinking about, okay, what's the line that I can't pass if I want to be obedient. And it's looking at commands in a very negative perspective. But I want us to see that Sabbath, and this specifically, is a gift. What does it say? Sabbath is for man. This, for even for those of us in Christ, is a commandment that we get to enjoy as a gift from a dad who gives us good gift. Not something to be begrudgingly taken, but to be something joyfully received. This is not a do more. This is a no. Here's a gift. Receive this. On a theological level, we don't see any of the other 10 commandments no longer true of us in Christ. We still follow the do not murder, do not steal, do not take your neighbor's wife, to, to not take your names, the Lord's name in vain. Those are still practices that we engage in. So why would the Sabbath be anything different? I do believe that this is something that is a gift given to us as a command for us to practice. And as I say that, I realize that I am probably the chief of sinners when it comes to this. I am the person that says, I'm busy. And sometimes I take that as a badge of honor, as if by me being busy, I'm more important. And so what has that led for me? That means that I haven't done a great job of keeping the Sabbath. I haven't. I've gotten good at taking a day off, but I haven't done good at not just taking a day off from paid work, but taking a day, as Genesis says, to the Lord as a gift from the Lord to recharge and refuel my tanks for work. I haven't looked at Sabbath as a gift. I've looked at Sabbath as a getting in the way of me being more productive. And I've had to repent. And repentance is 
turning away from a false truth and a fa- or from a false God and turning to the one true God in his teachings and way. It's saying, no, what I was doing was wrong and now God, I turn to you. I need your help and I place my faith in you as the one who not only forgives, but now empowers me to walk likewise. Sabbath is a gift for you. After this passage, Jesus goes on to do something else in uh, Mark chapter 3. And you see this in 1 through 6, and I'm going to summarize for it today. A person comes to Jesus, uh, and they... um, and these are Pharisees, and they're trying to find something to accuse him. And they say, hey, if a man needs to be healed, uh, would you heal him? And Jesus asks, asks them this in verse 4. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches out and heals this man who has a withered hand. The principle for this, while Sabbath is a deliberate disengagement, while it is a place for delight and rest and worship, Sabbath is still love of neighbor. We are in a very, very unique moment. Me sitting in my office recording this to a camera that I hope you are watching this and listening, that... This is weird and unique, but that's because we're in a season where the COVID-19 virus is causing us to have a deliberate disengagement, not for Sabbath, but for protection and love of neighbor. And so we're in a intentional or uh, we're receiving a slowdown so that we as a church can now intentionally engage that as if the Lord's trying to teach us something in the midst of it. My fear is as we talk about the slowdown disciplines, as we talk about silent solitude and specifically Sabbath today, we'll, we could hear this as a disengagement from love of neighbor. That we can just, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and binge Netflix all day, or I'm going to ignore my family, and I'm just going to do whatever gives me personal rest and not worry about anything else. Uh, it doesn't matter if my neighbor isn't fed well. It doesn't matter if they're suffering. I'm not going to worry about that. This is my Sabbath. This is my day off. I don't have to do those things. And what is Jesus teaching us here? No, no, no. Sabbath is still love of neighbor. This time and this season that we don't get to go about our regular rhythms, yes, I do believe that the Lord is teaching us culturally, but even us as the people of God specifically to slow down, to rest in Him, to find a better rhythm. But that does not mean we disengage from love. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. The Sabbath time and this season is still a time to do that. So even as we Sabbath, we're looking for times to love neighbor. We're, we're Sabbathing intentionally, rejuvenating and experience the delight of the Lord so that we can work out of that. We're not working to earn God's delight. We've already got that delight in Christ. And now we do the, um, love of neighbor from that place. 
So what does this mean for all of humanity? For my friends who don't yet believe in Jesus, I want to address you for a moment. You can go about taking a regular day off, a regular Sabbath. You can go about the principles that I've uh, laid out and you can still be restless. Because the Sabbath was not an end to itself. Sabbath was a shadow of Christ. And this is the last principle. A Sabbath is a shadow of Christ. Your heart longs to find in the rhythm of God's creation. That's why we invite all humanity into Sabbath. But that's not enough. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Okay? Listen to this. Sabbath. These, including Sabbath, are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is in Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Imagine a sunny day and you see a shadow on the ground. We don't get to see shadows here in the Northwest because of all the gray. But just pretend with me for a moment that we have a sunny day. You see the shadow on the ground. If I want to get to know something, if I want to get to experience something, do I go and speak to the shadow? Do I go engage with the shadow? Do I go to walk with the shadow? No. The shadow points me to the substance, the the literal body, the soma of Christ is what this word actually means. So if you want to know where true rest, true satisfaction, true delight comes from, it only comes from Jesus. You may be restless even as you take days off. But listen to what Augustine, the the early church father said, you have, and this is him saying a prayer to God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. More recently, Dallas Willard says it this way, says we can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. Listen, we are only at home in God. If you're experiencing a sense of restlessness, that this is not the way the world was meant to be, it's because after the story in Genesis, something happens, something shifts. This parasite called sin that is a rebellion against God enters into the human story. And this rebellion turns our gaze away from the creator God and to his created things. We now look to something or someone else to find our rest, something or someone else to find our satisfaction. And we willfully rebel against the giver of life, and that brings in the story of death. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures say. But this is where Jesus and the gospel is so beautiful. Jesus took on human flesh He lived a perfect life, showing us what it means to be human, being a perfect sacrifice and substitute for our sins. 
And then what does he do? He goes to the cross. He pays the penalty for, he takes on our restlessness. He was at home in God. He walked in perfect unity with God. He didn't work to receive God's love. He had already received God's love and he was working out of that. And on the cross, he paid the penalty for your and my sin. He takes on my sinfulness and he gives you and me his righteousness. So now you and I can be at home with God. In his resurrection, he defeats sin, Satan, and death. He now gives us his spirit so that by those who place our faith in him can be adopted and called children of God. And only those who do that can truly find their home in God and our rest in him. So before we talk about the practices, my invitation to you is to place your faith in Jesus whether it's for the first time and saying, I want to go from an enemy to a child, or if you're already a follower of Jesus, you say, no, I, I need to remind myself and, and go to the table in a few moments to take the, um, the bread and the body to remember his uh, bloodshed for the forgiveness of my sin so that I'm not working to earn God's love, but I've already earned God's love because Jesus gave it to me. It is in Jesus, in Jesus alone, that you can find your satisfaction, that you can find your rest.